This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. MIP, once again, at the NAACP, the 113th NAACP convention here with President, our brother, Derek Johnson. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Back in Atlantic City after how many years? Uh, last time I was here was, what, 1968? That's 54 years. And, and welcome back, because I don't think you've missed a convention, what, in the last how many years? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. It, it's It's been... And it's really good to see everybody mm-hmm. and to see people you haven't seen in, what, almost two well, years? Yeah, this is the first time in two years of what's yeah. convening. Yeah. Uh, it is really good. We what, we didn't know what to expect, but the restoration started picking up. And to see the hall this morning, it was full. Yeah, it was. It, was. it wasn't many was. empty seats there, so that's well, a beautiful thing. No, no, it was, it was full. That was, that was good. Um, each convention has its own theme. Mm-hmm. This one you've chosen. This is this is power. This is power. You know, it's important. You know, I always had this philosophy, and it is really from many of the SNCC organizers that egocentric leadership fails us. That mm-hmm. every individual has the power collectively to do what's necessary. We can't wait for a savior when we have what's in us. That's that's what created a Fannie Lou Hamer. It was Ella Baker who trained that to those six veterans, said strong people don't need strong leaders because they are the leaders they're looking for. Right. That's really important. This is power is that. It is about every single person that's a member of our community of this organization, writ large, ha- we have the power individually, but collectively that power is mighty to make the change that we're looking for. And one thing you do that I always appreciate in, in your speech, you highlighted the locals, mm-hmm. the branch presidents, the volunteers, because if we go down the laundry list of what we're facing right now, going forward, a lot of this struggle is right. on the local level. Look, it is local up, not not top right. down, right, right, right. right? Think about change in this country, right? It has happened because of intergenerational models. Young people bringing their energy, older people bringing their wisdom, and those who are middle-aged bringing their connectivity and their astuteness, that's movement. But it also was in local communities that propelled national responses. We are looking at a democracy that's being threatened, and how that plays out over the next several months, I'm talking about the next 18 to 36 months, we'll have a, make a decision of whether or not we're going to have the democracy that was, that was committed to or something different. I'm going to go here about the local piece. 
The last time we seen this level of threat was during Jim Crow era. Mm. It ended as a result of local people coming to Atlantic City, challenging the rules of the Democratic Party. Right. And when they did that, they broke open uh, the possibility that we could fully participate in local elections, state elections, and federal elections. Mm -hmm. And we haven't looked back since. So it's about the local people building the skills and the wherewithal to change the dynamics nationally. Yeah. And all of our civil rights organizations, Derek, the Democratic Party, every year we say this is the biggest thing we are facing. But this year, that's really kind of real, because now we have codification. We, we didn't get the Voting Rights Act upgraded like we wanted to. We mm-hmm. didn't get George Floyd. And now they've taken away Roe. So it's no longer get ready for what's about to happen. It has happened. But every year, it is the most important election. You think about 2016 was the most important election up to that point. And we've seen the outcome because <laughs> right. we didn't participate, right? right? right. 2020 was the most important election at that point because had we not reversed the trends that was taking place, we don't know where we would be in this democracy. Right. 2000 was the most important election that we've ever seen. Had a fraction of a percentage of the people voted in Florida, the dynamics would have been different. Yeah. So let's always recognize that in the transaction of a democracy, our vote is our currency. And that currency, how we leverage it, how we expend it, will determine the quality of life that our children will have in the future, but also determine the quality of life we have currently. Yeah. Um, And as you said also in your speech, uh, Roe is a priority for the NAACP. Not only is it a priority, when you're talking about inequities and disparate impacts, it it would disparately impact African-American women, but also going to impact African-American men. All those brothers who, because of life circumstances, now they're going to be put into a position where they have to raise kids or abandon kids because there are no options. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to all those brothers? What does that mean to all those young girls? What does that mean to the victims of sexual violence? All of those things are real, and we don't want to see no one, particularly our young and middle-aged sisters, impacted negatively as a result. Student debt is an issue. Wisdom has been talking to me about that. Um, And as you also have articulated, just so people understand the relationship, the debt that we're in um, prevents us from gaining generational wealth. And in America, generational wealth comes from home ownership. Home ownership and equity in those homes. You know, you think about 2000. Why was 2000 so important? We would not have had the housing market crash but for the 2000 election. Because that election put in place a set of individuals who rolled back protections in the financial industry so insurance companies couldn't be merged with with financial companies and banks couldn't be merged with them. And when that happened, you removed the barriers and people began to take out mortgages because there were no standards there. And you look up, they lost their homes. Right, right, right. Well, the crisis that's bigger than that is student loan debt crisis. As a result of states not wanting to increase taxes on the most wealthiest individuals in their state, they they cut it their taxes, increased tuition during a time where African Americans were going to schools at an all-time high. Therefore, they had to borrow more money. During the exact same time as a result of 2000 elections, they refused to increase the Pell Grant allocation. Mm. 
And so now you put people in this squeeze, you tell them to go to school, do one, two, three to be successful. They did all those things. Tuition went up. They had to borrow and finance that career. And now they get out of school and those degrees and those careers are no longer marketable. And the career they, they choose to be right. cannot right. cannot withstand the monthly payment. Yeah. Um, some of us die still on student debt. 37%, I mean, I'm sorry, for individuals who are 75 years or older, African-Americans are twice as likely to still be paying student debt loan. Yeah, yeah. I even saw, saw some statistics somewhere where there are people in their 90s who are still alive um, with student debt. We had three, uh, sort of three generations of student debt. Student debt yeah, yeah. Um, this is midterm season. NAACP going to be uh, all in on voter education, voter registration, voter empowerment. 22 state we're targeting for this midterm election. But before we can get to November, right. we are actively engaged, got people going on the doors right now in Shelby County, Tennessee, which is Memphis, <laughs> for a district attorney race. Now, this is the first I've heard of this. Who's ever elected, they serve an eight-year term. An eight-year term. Mm. In addition to that, the current district attorney, and we're nonpartisan, we're not saying right. vote for right. anybody, but the current district attorney refused to do, refused to use DNA evidence. Mm. Just refused facts. Wow. And in a pursuit to throw away as many people as possible. And these are African Americans, these are working poor whites, these are Latinos. Justice should be just, not just for some people. Absolutely. And so in this scenario, it's important for the citizens of Shelby County, Tennessee, to understand the options and the impact of a district attorney's office. They have the discretion to determine who gets charged, who's not charged, what they're charged for, whether or not they want to pursue a certain course of action. That is, you, you, know, the, you know, the adage of who's throwing a baby in the water, yeah, right. you keep putting babies out of water, go upstream. It's the district attorney. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And again, these are these are local races, y'all. Mm -hmm. We got to get out of habit of just thinking we just want to vote for the president or vote in a, in, a, in a federal race. Derek Johnson, president of NAACP, the 113th annual NAACP convention. Derek, as always, congratulations. Thank, Thank you, sir. We still in the fight. This this is power. This is power. And you all have it. Also at the NAACP convention, had an opportunity to speak with. HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge. Here with uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Marsha Fudge. Uh, good Thank to see you at the NAACP nice convention, as always. Yeah. Um, you talked about rent in your speech today. And African Americans are experiencing unprecedented rent increases and evictions in this period. What, what can HUD do? about that? Well, there are a couple of things we can do, and you know just as well as I do. When we make decisions that affect the country, it goes back to the old saying, you know, America catches a cold, black people get pneumonia. Right. That's the situation we find ourselves in. We still have resources to assist people with rent, and we're still trying to get them out. All people need to do is contact us, and we can tell them if we can assist them with their rent. We are saying to landlords that have any kind of vouchers or anything from us, you are not going to evict people. Mm -hmm. We have been talking with courts and basically saying to them, do not allow these landlords to evict people unless they have tried to give them the information that will allow them to seek things like, you know, emergency rental assistance. Uh, the other thing we're doing is we're holding landlords accountable. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. because they've never been held accountable. Right. Right now, they want to evict people because they know they can make more money someplace else because the market, as you say, has gotten so high that everybody wants to take advantage of the market. So we have to hold them in check. Um, But the other thing HUD is doing is it's saying to even people in public housing, we're going to make this a little bit better for you. But lastly and more importantly, we are providing access to home ownership. So, you know, historically, when people like you or me or those who are just coming out of college try to get a loan, student debt That's right. prevents us from being what they call credit worthy. Right. So what we have done is basically neutralize student debt, saying that if you're a first-time home buyer or a first-generation home buyer, we're going to calculate your student debt in a way that basically makes it a nullity. We're now going to give you a loan based upon your income and not consider your student debt. And not only are we going to do that, we're going to give you a loan that's 40 years as opposed to 30. Mm. So we can bring down your monthly mortgage. We can bring back down your interest rates. Because what we know is most people can pay rent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you can pay rent, you can pay a mortgage. You can pay mortgage, right. So we're trying to find ways to get you into home ownership. We're looking at, and we have requested, the president has requested $100 million in down payment assistance. We know that's another one of our problems, is the down payment. We can make the payment, but it's the down payment, so we give them down payment assistance. So that those people who can afford to go to a home, we give them the opportunity to do it. And so then we free up housing for all the other people who need to rent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just a supply and demand issue, and that's what we're doing. One of the things we always talk about when we promote HR 40, and I know you were a co-sponsor. Absolutely. You know, folk think that white folk just woke up one day and had generational wealth. Like it was under Cabbage Patch. But they got those loans. They got FHA and the GI and all of them. And that's, and it's funny, when I explain that to people, people really can't, they can't argue anymore. Because we did not get that assistance to establish a middle class the way they did. And that's what you're doing, we're playing catch up. Listen, if you go all the way back even to the Kerner Report in 1968, they say, they, that report basically said where we would be today because we isolated and segregated poverty. We did not give people like you and me the opportunity to see, not because we not weren't qualified, we didn't have the opportunity or the access. Right. And so now we are getting it. And as long as I'm at HUD, we're going to have it. Yeah. Because it is just something that is, this is my life's work. Yeah, amen. Right, right, right. This right. is what I do. And so I am determined we're going to make a difference. Well, I heard you say if, if it's going to happen, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. With you, I've not seen a HUD secretary so energetic mm-hmm. about these issues. And, and that's, that's really, if we're going to have, if, if nobody had homes in America, there would be no wealth in America. That's, that's really exactly, what it that is. That is correct. Because there's, exactly. there's nothing else to own. That is correct. Yeah, they can't own us anymore. So th- this is important. And and. Um, another thing is, and it's ties to the rent, the gentrification, how communities, what are your thoughts about our historically black communities with our culture? And now they seem to be turning over. I live in an all black community, by yeah. choice. Yeah. 
Because the one thing I need for people to understand is that just because people succeed doesn't mean that they have to move away. Some do, they choose to, and, right. and, and that's great. I choose to be in the neighborhood so that people can see the role models I saw. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in an all-black community, but I saw doctors and lawyers and preachers and teachers. Uh, and so I think that people believe that they can be it if they can see it. And so that's just my own personal choice. Uh, but I think it is important for people to understand that communities of color and or low-income and moderate-income communities can be good communities. Yeah. I live in a good community. Yeah. If they just have the resources that are available to people in other communities. I mean, our streets shouldn't have potholes. They should be fixed like That's every right. other street. Uh, our our uh, electrical unit should be the same as everybody else's. Right. We should have houses that have roofs that don't leak uh, and that are energy efficient. So we are working now to make sure our homes are energy efficient. We're sending money directly to communities of highest need because we can. Right. And we've right. always been able to do it and we just haven't. We're going to make sure every child has access to broadband Amen. in their Amen. home, in Amen. their community. Uh, we have to do it. Yeah. We just, yeah. And the other thing I think people forget, and these are two things I hope your people will understand clearly. We talk about disasters and those things. They don't understand black people, brown people, and poor people are affected more by it than anybody. So we're making sure right. disaster relief is finally going to communities where they should be. We are the people who live in communities that have um, power plants right. and have all of that, right. the climate problems. Right. We're going to make sure that if you live in these communities, we're trying to clean up these power plants. We're trying to clean up these dump sites so that our children won't have to breathe that air. Mm-hmm. Because today, more children miss school because of asthma than any other thing. So we can get them in environments with clean air. And then lastly, I'm dealing with that homelessness crisis. Mm. And I said earlier, 40% of all the homeless people that sleep on the street are black people mm-hmm. and brown people. Mm-hmm. Nobody imagines that in their mind, but it is true. Because if you live in a city like, let me just take San Francisco or Oakland, and you're on a fixed income, where do you live? Yeah. You yeah. can't live there. No. And so they find themselves, you know, couch surfing from house to house. And next thing you know, they're on the streets. Yeah. We cannot, in the richest country in the world, let children and elderly people sleep on the streets. Amen. Amen. So those are my thanks. Thank you. Good to see you. Keep up the great work. And we, we, we're blessed to have you, Thank you. doing this. I appreciate you. <laughs> I really okay. do appreciate you. All right, all right. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. After speaking to the NAACP convention delegates, Vice President Kamala Harris sat down with New Jersey's state legislators and talked about the reversal of Roe. Every woman in America should be free to make decisions about their life in terms of, in particular, the choices that they have and should be able to have about uh, their reproductive health. And with the Dobbs decision, the United States Supreme Court took 
a recognized constitutional right from the people of America, from the women of America. And we do believe, I do believe, this is a national health care crisis. When we look at this issue, every woman should be able to make decisions about their bodies and their life without government interference. And if they so choose in consultation with their pastor, their priest, their rabbi, their family, their physician, what we are seeing around the country are extremist so-called leaders who are passing laws with the intention of criminalizing public health professionals, punishing women for making decisions that are intimate, private decisions that should be protected in terms of the privacy and the autonomy with which women should be able to live and have the power over the most intimate issues that could affect their lives. And I think it's important to note that you don't have to abandon your faith or your beliefs to agree that the government should not be interfering with her decision, that woman's decision, over her body and her life. The government should not be interfering, and no one has to abandon their faith or their belief to agree that certain decisions are not the government's to make, and that is one of them. So, the president feels very strongly about this issue, and our administration is fighting at a national level to protect the health, the safety, and the well-being of women. Uh, President Biden recently um, signed executive orders to protect women's access to abortion by medication, and also we are taking executive action to ensure that women are protected in terms of their constitutional right to interstate travel. In addition, we are demanding that the United States Congress codify Roe, which means put into law the protections that Roe provided. Um, but we know that this fight is not only at a national level, it is also at a state level. I have been traveling around the country. I have met with leaders from many states that are directly impacted by these laws. There is an election coming up in 113 days. And those elections will matter at every level. Who is your district attorney will matter. Who is your governor will matter. Who is your attorney general will matter. Who is the secretary of state will matter. So I urge everyone to pay attention to this election and understand that right now, with the court's decision, a lot of the rules and the laws that are being put in place are occurring and the enforcement of those laws are occurring at a local and state level. So do pay attention to these elections coming up and again about 113 days I believe. And, um, and that brings me to why we are here today in New Jersey. Uh, I have um, in, in the travels and conversations that we've been having looking for national models of what is working in the face of what's not working. And the legislators who are here today and their colleagues and others and, and, and the Attorney General have been doing model work here in New Jersey in protecting a woman's ability to make decisions about her body. 
I will also note that here in New Jersey, um, there is also work that is highlighting the Venn diagram, if you will, uh, around these issues. In that, we are finding that in many of the states where there is an intent and there is work being done to deprive women of their right to make decisions about their own reproductive health and, and their care, um, the same people. And in those same states, we are finding laws being passed to restrict the ability of people to vote. And again, here in New Jersey, you all are doing some outstanding work to expand the right to vote to ensure that all people who are entitled to vote will be able to do so in an unfettered way. And so I look forward to lifting up the work that you all have been doing here um, to protect these fundamental rights. I will also add that it is my firm belief that the Dobbs decision is just the beginning of what is a, an agenda that is about also attacking other rights that flow from the right to privacy, including access to contraception and same-sex marriage. And so when we think about this issue, let us understand that it has wide-ranging impact and we, as the American people who believe in the strength and the purpose of a democracy, we who believe that the Constitution of the United States was designed to protect certain fundamental rights, we must understand what is at stake all of us uh, in this moment. And for that reason, stand up and fight for the right of everyone to have their constitutional rights protected. Two of the state legislators from New Jersey in that meeting with Vice President Harris shared some compelling thoughts themselves about the reversal of Roe. First, New Jersey Senate Majority Leader Teresa Ruiz. In September of 2016, a beautiful young baby was born into this world, my daughter. And I took her into the polling booth with me several weeks after that. Uh, it would be the first time she would see mom voting in the polling booth. She doesn't remember, but she sees the photographs. And I remember looking at her and saying the trajectory of her life was changing as a woman in this country. And sure enough, it was, because that was the beginning of a slippery slope that we see ourselves catastrophically on the other side of it. Except for the fact that she lives in the Garden State in the state of New Jersey and that so many people around this table have given their sweat equity, their, their life, their love, and their passion in protecting her and her future. It is unfathomable that she has less rights in this country than her grandmother. As a Latina, if it was not for Planned Parenthood, I would not have had access to OBGYN healthcare because you grow up in an environment not for lack of education, but just how our families were raised that you didn't seek access to healthcare in that area because you weren't married, right? The old school mentality, nonetheless, it exists and it still exists today. That we need to have these institutions elevated and protected so that healthcare predominantly of women is protected. New Jersey Assemblywoman, Myla Jacy. I'm one of 11 children. And my mother, who is a college graduate, who was a teacher, after she had her seventh child, her doctor said, you know, if you don't want to keep having children, 
you can have a tubal ligation. And she said, that's what I want because nothing that she was using at that time was working. And the catch was she was in California, which we consider a very, you know, uh, progressive state. She needed her husband's signature. And he, because he was one who liked to control, said no. So she went on to have four more and nearly died with that. And one of those children, one of the children she had before she uh, had the seventh, had Down syndrome. And he was a very, very low functioning child. He required so much care. And again, that care was not available when he was born or afterwards. My mother was actually advised to institutionalize him. And she said, I'm not going to do that. He's my child. And so I grew up always struggling with this idea that I couldn't make choices for myself. I have only one sister. I have nine brothers. Their rights were different from ours. MIP at the NAACP. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.